here or I'd be in a mental hospital. That's so much he's done for me. It, um, I'd like to talk about three years ago, I lived in a place called Lismore. The whole place went underwater. Um, basically, um, God was so good and he looked after me every step of the way. I was coming home from work and God said to me, um, you know, just trust me through everything. I saw all the rivers rising and I knew that it wasn't a very good thing that's going to happen. A friend of mine from Perth rang up and said, do you want me to meet me in the Gold Coast for a few days? I knew that was God providing for me because if I would have stayed where I was, I would have drowned or something bad could have happened. I was living in a flood zone in South Lismore um, and I was underneath a Queenslander. And the day I was about to go and see my friend, the river was rising. I looked out on the street and I couldn't see the street. It was full of water. Um, basically, God said to me, I could hear the gargling in the toilet. Then the sewage was coming through the kitchen sink. I knew, uh-oh, this isn't good. So I felt God say, throw all your paperwork, throw your clothes and get out of here. How I got out is a miracle because water was everywhere. I couldn't see where I was driving. I was driving from Lismore to the Gold Coast and basically I drove through flood water and come out the other side and I just got a little car. And God said, Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And you go through the rivers and they shall not overflow you. And it was a miracle because my friend come from Perth, never known the Gold Coast, she booked the safe place. And I got to her and we were up on the hill. All around us was flooded. But we were in a safe place. So I give God the glory for that too. And basically, all through that, the next day I got a text and my friend said, your house is underwater and you've lost every single thing and you're homeless. So that second, my whole life fell apart. And God kept saying, trust me, trust me. Within an hour, my friend from Bellin rang up and said her brother had a park home he just sold. It's sitting empty. I could have it for nothing on the beach, for nothing for six weeks. And in that time, God was speaking to me about moving to Cairns. Um, my life was falling apart. I didn't, couldn't think straight. I couldn't cope. And in Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong, of good courage, do not fear, nor be afraid, for the Lord your God is the one that goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And all the way through, God was with me. 
And basically, God said in six weeks, I want you to leave everything behind and go to Cairns. I didn't know anyone, just totally trusting God. And I did. I just took off with just the bits of clothes I had and $2,000 to start a new life and took off. And it was like, as I was driving up here, my life fell apart. I, um, it was like my life, I had been through so much in my life with traumas and everything. But God was always with me, no matter what I went through. But because I hadn't dealt with it, all this stuff kept coming up. And... When I was driving up to Cairns, I just lost it. I had a breakdown. I couldn't cope. I was fearful to talk to people. I was fearful of everything. But God sent people across my path. God sent people to love me, to care for me. Within a week of being in Cairns, I had a stable house. I had, then God led me to a Christian psychologist who worked on trauma. So I knew God was saying I had to forgive everyone that did really bad things to me. And I had to trust him and face my fears. So I did with Jesus. Now today, God has healed my past. He has restored my sister and my relationship we hadn't talked for six years and now we're so close and she's so happy of everything. Right now I want to thank God because I've got a permanent place to live right near the beach. I've got a permanent job and I've got a good church family and I have just passed a hospital chaplain and pastoral care course and and that has opened doors for me to go into the hospitals and pray with people who are wounded and broken and God's opening the doors for me in every area and one thing I had to work through I've had a voice condition and that was always stopping me. I always felt I wasn't good enough. I couldn't get through the course because of my voice. And I always had a battle that. But God is saying to me, and he has given me this scripture. When I am, it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When I am weak, he is strong. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I'd rather boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. thing I want to say today, no matter what you go through, no matter what's happened in your life, Christ can bring you through. I know he's done so much for me and I want to give him the glory and I want to serve him all my life. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Praise the Lord. A lot of people don't realize Sister Jenny actually does quite a bit of work for the church in the background. You know, often we see what's going on up the front because they're very visible and a lot of things are happening. But Sister Jenny goes to the hospital, volunteers her time, 
and goes around and prays for people and ministers to people who are sick, people who are, who are sometimes, um, I don't even think, I don't know the technical term, but terminal, that's the word I want. You know, she, she ministers to them and lets them know there's a God that loves them and she prays for them. And that takes a tremendous amount of courage. If I'm honest, that's not something I'm entirely comfortable with. But yes, Sister Jenny is willing to go in there. And, and this year, she's going to be doing some more work within the church in the background. So I'll be talking to a few people and saying, hey, Sister Jenny's going to come see you, sit down and have a coffee with you and just get to know you and just, and just minister, you know, and help people and bless people. And you know, that's just a small part of her story. You know, she's just had a life where God has just shown up over and over again. Amen. Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord this morning? Amen. If you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? We're going to go to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. Interesting passage of Scripture I want to read to you. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21, we're going to read just the first six verses. Everyone say amen when you're there. Amen. Exodus 21 says this, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. Oh, these are the rules you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. Skip down to verse 5. It says, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning on this thought. I will not go free. I will not go free. Now, you're probably wondering where in the world is pastor going to go here when you're talking about people getting ear piercings done with screwdrivers and stuff like that. But we'll see. Slavery in the Bible times was not a fate that you would like to find yourself in. As a matter of fact, slavery at all in any time would not be anything that you would wish upon even your worst enemy. In the Bible, we read of the hardships of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt. We know that they suffered. We know that many of them died. Many children died. Many parents died as they struggled under the bondage of the Egyptian Pharaoh. We read later on in the Bible of the slavery of the nation of Israel in the nation of Assyria. We read about the nation of Judah being carried off in chains to the city of Babylon. There was nothing nice about slavery. There was nothing good about it. There was nothing that made people really want to do it. And on a personal level, we read of people who would get into such dire straits 
and hard times in the Bible that really the only option that they would have left was to sell themselves or to sell their family into slavery. There was many reasons why slaves could come. Slaves might be, happen because of warfare. Slaves might happen because of disasters. But most of the time, the reason why slaves came up in the Old Testament was because they didn't have the money. They didn't have the support. They had debt that they could not pay. And so they would indenture themselves to the master who would then forgive the debt that they had accrued with him. In the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 4, we read of the mother who cried out to Elisha for help, who was so badly in debt due to the passing of her husband that the creditor was on his way to take away her two sons as slaves. We read the story in 1 Kings chapter 17 about the widow of Zarephath whose cupboards were bare, whose options were gone, and she's telling the prophet Elijah that I have a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, and I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and then die dire straits. And so when people were down and out and when people had no options for help, slavery became a final and desperate option for someone to take, to be able to try and some way through work be able to work off the debt that they had accrued with the master. And people became slaves because of debt for many, many reasons. Sometimes the husband had died the chief person who would run the garden or run the job or was the chief income earner, he had passed away and the family had fallen on hard times. Sometimes all it took was a crop failure and a famine and all of a sudden there was nothing left to eat and no money to be able to buy food anymore. Sometimes it was a result of bad business decisions. Sometimes it was a, a result of making bad personal choices. Sometimes it was not even that person's fault. But they became slaves because of someone else's negligence and someone else's malpractice and someone else not doing what they were supposed to do. There were many, many different ways to get to this point. But the result was always the same. You became a slave to pay off what was owned. The truth of the matter is, is that God never wanted this outcome for His people. And throughout the law of Moses where we're reading today, we see that God made provision for the poor in His laws to His people. In Leviticus 23 and verse 22, it gives an instruction that says that when you harvest the fields, you're not supposed to harvest them entirely, but, but leave bits and pieces for the poor to come behind the harvesters and, and collect so they have something to eat and something to keep their families alive when things are hard. In Exodus 23 and verse 11, it says that in the seventh year, all the fields were to be left you could plant and harvest, plant and harvest for the first six years, but in the seventh, you were to plant and then let it grow, but not harvest it. And all the poor of the land would be able to come and, and harvest what you had grown and use it for themselves. And, and maybe if they could harvest a big enough portion of your income, they would get enough money that they could start a small business or maybe get themselves out of poverty that way. In addition to these, the Bible would lay down laws for the children of Israel regarding how a master was to treat a slave. 
They were to provide the same food, to provide the same housing that the rest of the family had. The Bible forbid the Hebrew slave owners to beat their slaves. It forbid them to mistreat them and there were severe penalties if they were caught doing that. And in the text that we read in Exodus chapter 21, we see another one of these provisions in the text. A Hebrew slave would only be required to serve for six years. And in that seventh year, the master had to allow them to go free. So, man, even if things were bad, even if you saw no way out, even if things were so terrible, the only option you had was to become a slave to your master. You knew that all I have to do is just work for six years. And it might be hard work, it might be easy work, it might be difficult work, but I know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel because when that seventh year ticks over, my master has been told by God, instructed by Moses, that he is to let me go. You see, it didn't matter what the size of the debt was. It didn't matter what the circumstances were that had led them to that point of becoming slaves. There was no questions to be asked. There was no justification to be given in the seventh year. It didn't matter. They were to be freed. Someone say amen. But there's an interesting point in the scripture here. In verse 5, it's an interesting sequence of events here. It says, And if the servant shall plainly say, This is the slave, this is the one who is in debt, this is the one who has been working for six years, and the year of release is here, and he has the option to go free. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. It seems that sometimes there were those who decided that actually, on the balance of things, they did not want to be free anymore. They wanted to remain as servants in the master's house. It seemed that there were some that loved their master so much and cared for them so much that they would prefer a life of service to their master than to go back to the way things used to be six years ago. It seemed that perhaps they weighed up their life outside the master's house and decided that it was worth Staying on in the master's house forever. You see, outside the master's house, there was no food. But here, in the master's house, I have plenty of food. You see, outside the master's house, there was creditors chasing me and people wanting payback. But here, inside the master's house, my debts are cleared. The master takes care of it for me. Outside the master's house, I didn't have even a roof over my head. I was homeless. I was lost. But inside the master's house, I have a bed. I have a room. I have a place to call my own inside the master's house. Inside the master's house, I have shelter from the elements. Shelter from my enemies. But outside 
the master's house. I had to fend for myself. Outside the master's house, I had to look after my own interests and watch out for myself. But inside the master's house, I have my master watching out for my interests. And so it was that in the law of Moses, there was a provision for those servants who loved their master that they would willingly choose to remain in the master's house as servants for the rest of their life. And if you are wondering how this relates to us today, let me tell you, we are not facing slavery and servitude today in this country of that kind. But we do face slavery of a spiritual kind. And slavery to sin and to the things of this world is not a fate that you would want to find yourself in. And the sad thing is that it is a fate that the entire human population is in. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it tells us very clearly that all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. First John chapter 1 and verse 10 tells us equally clearly that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And Jesus himself in John chapter 8 and verse 34, he tells the Pharisees, he says that verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And I'm here to tell you today that sin is a cruel master. It will drain you of dignity. It will disconnect you from God. And all it will leave you is shame and regret and consequences. And we end up spiritually bankrupt and spiritually broken and spiritually destitute and spiritually in And into this steps Jesus. We were lost. He found us. We were hopeless. He gave us hope. Peter says it so well in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed for you were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls we were slaves on the auction block of sin destitute hopeless worthless and Jesus turned around and decided that you and I were worth it. Jesus decided that you deserved a better life. Jesus counted the cost for your debt and he paid the price for your sin and for my sin, not just with gold, but with his blood. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle received from the tradition of your fathers. 
First Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. I'm here to tell you today that no amount of gold could ever pay the price for your sin. No amount of silver would ever clear the balance of debt that you owed. No amount of begging and pleading and our own strength and our own ability would ever set us free. Nothing that we could ever do in our own strength would ever be sufficient. And this is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the ones who didn't care about Him, for the ones who were broken, for the ones that were in debt. He's the ones that they died for. For scarcely for a righteous man, verse 7, will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. While we were in chains, while we were bound, while we were in debt, while we were destitute, Christ was willing to pay the price for you. And for me, the blood that Jesus paid for us opened up the doors of salvation, opened up the doors to be free from sin, and opened up the doors of grace. That's what grace is. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We had no rights to it. But Jesus did it anyway. It didn't matter the size of the debt. It didn't matter what we owed. It didn't matter how we had failed God in the past. It didn't matter how bad we thought we were or how far we thought we had fallen or everything that we had done wrong in our life. Jesus counted the cost and was still willing to pay the price for us. Someone ought to shout praise the Lord right now. And so... We pass from being the servants of sin to becoming the servants of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, But God be thanked that you who were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of the doctrine that was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, you become the servants to righteousness. You see, Jesus paid the price. Jesus took care of the debt and we become servants to righteousness. We become part of the body of Christ. We become part of the household of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, it says it, says it like this. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them. And rose again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we like that verse. We understand that verse. But the verse before is saying, hey, you know what? You don't live for yourself anymore. You're living for Jesus now. He's the one who's paid the debt. And so you have become his servants. And you are now serving him. And you are now living for him. And his purpose needs to be your purpose because he has become our new master. But what about our freedom? There will come a time 
in your life as you live for Jesus. But you might forget what Jesus bought you from. Maybe it'll be in six years. Maybe it'll be in 20 years. Maybe it's today. There will come a time in your life where things just become routine. And where living in the master's house becomes drudgery. And we forget that outside the master's house, there was no hope. Outside the master's house, there was no grace. Outside the master's house, there was no mercy. Outside the master's house, there was no redemption. And there will come a time, if not today, then sometime in the future where you will be faced with a choice. Will you leave the master's house and go back to what seems to be freedom again? Will you take your chance with the world? Maybe, maybe this time it will be different. Maybe with your own power and your own strength, your own willpower, maybe you can work it out. Maybe this time will be different. Maybe you won't make the same mistakes. Maybe you, you've grown up a little bit more and you, you, you feel like, you know what, I can probably leave the master's house. Or are you going to fall on your knees and say, I love my master. I love what Jesus has done in my life. I want my master in my life. I need him in my life. I remember what it was like before. And so Jesus, I won't go free. I'm going to stay. I'm not going to take what this world is offering with all of its attraction and, and, and looking good. But, but Jesus, I want to stay in the master's house. Are you willing to make that decision. You see, we understand that Jesus saved us from our sin, but there's, there's going to come a time where we need to make a decision that says, no, I'm going to stay in the master's house. I will serve you for my life. My whole life. I'm not here just till I forget what you did for me, but, but every day I live. I'm going to serve you, Jesus. This is not something that we can do lightly because it will change our life. And I think sometimes that's why people are so afraid to really allow God to make those deep changes in our life because we're afraid of what happens. We're afraid of what if things are different? What if things aren't the same anymore? What if I can't do things that I used to do or go places I used to go or hang out with the people I used to hang out with? But when you begin to get the reality of where you were before and where you are now in Jesus, you will come to the conclusion that there is no other place to be than in the Master's house. And so our life becomes changed. Our life becomes marked. As being set aside for the master. In verse 6 it says, The master brings the servant to the doorpost. And using an owl he bores his ear through. Forever marking him 
as a servant to his master. Everywhere that that servant went, people knew that he was a servant to that house. Everybody knew where he belonged. Everybody knew what house that he was a part of. I don't know about you today, but when I walk out of the streets of this city, I want people to look at my life and see that it has been marked by Jesus Christ. That my life is not the same anymore, and I don't want to go back. I want my life to be more like Jesus every day that I live. As we all stand this morning, my question for you is, what about you today? I know where I am. God has done so much for me. I remember what it was like when I was down and out. I remember what it was like when I was struggling. And now I've met this master. And the Bible says that his, his burden is easy and his, his yoke is light. And he's given me purpose. And he's given me direction. And whenever the enemy comes around and says, hey, you know what? You could just go free. You don't have to be a part of that anymore. Just go free. Just relax. It's okay. I look at my master and I remember what he did for me. And again, I turn to him and I say, I, I don't want to go free. I will not go free. I'm going to stay as your servant, Jesus. So what about you this morning when the time comes? Are you going to leave the master's house and make your own way? Do it by your own strength. Or are you going to declare, I love my master. I will not go out free. After holding in balance everything that Jesus has done for me and what Jesus has done for you saved us from being a slave to sin, gave us hope. He gave us purpose. He gave us direction. He gives us His Spirit to lead and to guide us. He gives us fellowship with friends and family in the body of Christ. He gives us His anointing. He gives us miracles, signs, and wonders. He pours out His blessings upon our life. And yet in the sign of all these blessings, we often lose sight of the fact that, that where we are now is, is far better than where we used to be. And we allow our Christian walk with God to become stale and to become drudgery. And we get ready for church on Sunday morning and we think, oh, not again can't believe Sunday's here already. We should be longing to be in God's presence. We should be longing to be in God's house. He's our master. He's done so much for us. So this morning, I'm going to open these altars this morning. I'm calling for people who, who want to make that next step in their commitment to God. Who are going to say, you know what? I will not go out free. I'm not going to go out free today. I'm not going to go out free tomorrow. I'm not going to go out free in six months' time. But I'm going to live for God. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I have to give up. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I am going to dedicate my life to His service, to His purpose, to His plan. I'm going to dedicate my life to His house. 
because He's my master. I'm going to dedicate my life to build His kingdom, not my own. I will not go out free, but I will serve Jesus with my all. I will not go out free, but I will give my master everything. If God is speaking to you this morning, I want you to come right now. Come down the front to this altar. Why do we call it an altar? We call it an altar because this is a place where sacrifice happens. This is a place where we take things in our life. We say, God, you know, I'm going to give this to you. It doesn't necessarily mean you're giving it up, but you're saying, God, if this is your will, I want it to be under your purpose and under your plan. And I want your direction in my life. If God is speaking to you, come right now and begin to talk to the Lord right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want my life to be marked, God. I want my life to be completely dedicated to you. That's it. I'm not going to go back, God. I will not go out free. I refuse to go out free. Don't make me leave Jesus. He will never send you out. He will never kick you out. But He stands there saying, today's the day. If you want to go free, I won't stop you. But if you want to be my servant, allow me to change your life completely. You see, here's the problem. We come to God and, and we try and hang on to these things. And we say, God, don't change. I, I want my life to stay the same, but I'll give you parts of my life. But that's not how God works. He wants all of your life. Praise your Lord. That's it. Let's respond to God's word this morning. Hallelujah. As our musicians play.